Okay, let's open our Bibles to um, 2 Timothy, chapter 2. We're in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 2. And we're looking as we continue our study of um, Paul's letter to his son in the faith. Um, as we know, Timothy was, was a special son in the faith. And so let's look at 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 1 through, 1 through 13. He's moving on here now to give Timothy, Timothy some practical instructions about taking over the ministry. And he says several things. He starts the chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. He begins the chapter by saying, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Um, so that, I'm trying to get, tap Keith. Somebody tap Keith on the shoulder. This is first uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. He says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's, tell, he's telling Timothy here, he's his son, and, he's, and, and all through the Word of God, and all through church history, we find, um, we find this preaching of God's Word is passed on. It's, he was very much, we you know what we're use today. With the word we use today, it's kind of popular today. You've heard of mentoring. Mentoring is it's kind of a common word today. It's a it's a long, long, long time biblical word, but it's a it's a word that's really vogue today. And somebody tell me what mentoring is, just roughly. What do they mean by mentoring? You have it at work. You have it in organizations, um, children's clubs, youth meetings. What is mentoring? Anybody? Anybody know? Anybody know what it is? Sorry. Guiding. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Mentoring is guiding and helping and passing on your knowledge. Usually mentoring takes place from somebody who has a lot of experience to somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of experience. So mentoring is a historical thing. It's very popular today. And, it's in, and Paul is talking about this idea of mentoring way, way back in the book of Second Timothy. He uses, he uses three, he uses um, four images here we're going to talk about. The first one's a bit hard, but the rest of them I think, I think you'll be able to figure out. I'm going to read the passage to you, and then we'll dig in. He says, um, Okay, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to be a partaker of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And then verse 8 through 13 goes back to the soldier illustration. Remember that Jesus Christ um, of the seed of David was raised up from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of change. But the word of God is not changed. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. If we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, 
he remains faithful, he cannot deny himself. First thing, the main point of this that we're going to see is the, are the words, be strong. Be strong is the theme of this whole passage. Be strong. And over many, many times in God's Word, we see this phrase about be strong. It happens, I mean, way back in the Old Testament. It's a consistent theme. Um, be strong in this, be strong in that. Uh, it's one of the most common instructions. Remember what God told Joshua? He said, be strong and very courageous. Be, be strong and be courageous. Be very, be strong and be very courageous that you may obey God's word. God gives us the ability, um, we have, but we need to find our strength in God. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, he said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He told Joshua, be, and he, um, now here he's talking about a specific strength. Some places he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Here he says, be strong in what? And we have a Bible open? You guys have a Bible open? Um, Hudson? Not this one. Grace. Grace. Be strong in grace. That sounds, how are we to be, how do you think we're to be strong in grace? Grace is a word that seems the opposite of combat, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem, I mean, you don't really put grace and warfare, grace and um, conflict together. You don't even hardly put strength. You think about somebody who's strong and you tend to think about a wrestler or a big forward in rugby or somebody who is a massively built, you think of strength being one thing. But here God ties two into one and he ties the two together. He says, be strong in God's grace. Um... I think that, I think what God is telling us here is that in our responsibility is we need to find our strength in the grace of God. And I think the whole picture here, even as we talk about going to war, even as we talk about running a race, even as we talk about passing on the word of God, even as we talk about a farmer planting his crops, in all of these areas, we need the grace of God. And it's God's grace that needs to shine out of our hearts as we're living. I, I grew up in a generation of, of Christianity in America where there was a lot about being strong and being tough and being a warrior and being a fighter. But they didn't talk much about being strong in God's grace. It was a very um, kind of, um, confrontational message of strength. Rather than being strong in grace and letting God's grace guide us. The key difference is, I think the whole thing comes down to, it's the difference of attitude. But the song we sing, sometimes the, the new song we sing, Oh Church Arise. And we talk about we war again, we don't war against the people caught in sin. We war against the captor. It talks about how our battle cry is love. And our goal is to bring people into God's kingdom. All that is the attitude that we take. I, sadly, sadly, I've, I've known some Christians whose whole attitude was an anger to attitude of anger and belligerence. And every time you heard some of these guys preach, they'd be standing and pounding their pulpit and condemning sin. And sin does need to be condemned. But they just seem to be so angry about everything. But Paul says here, he tells Timothy, Timothy, there's a key thing you have to do. And he, I think he tells, he tells Timothy because Timothy is still a young man and it's the young guys t- that tend to be the ones 
who have a problem with having to prove themselves as men by being tough and by being hard. He says, be strong in the grace of God. I, I, I don't think we can talk too much about God's grace. We hear a phrase, there's a common saying even in the world, there but by the grace of God go I. And it's so common, it almost gets to be trite or trivial. But at the same time, that's exactly what we, that, we, that we need to remember that we are all that we are by the grace of God. Paul wrote in one place, he said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm only here. I'm only who I am by the grace of God. So he says, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Um, okay, so be strong in the grace. God is the God of all grace. He can give us the grace to do that. Then he's going to use four, four illustrations. Most of these are clear. So, lads, you need to listen for the first point at least. All right, first thing he says, he says you need to be a strong steward. You need to be a strong steward. Not the name steward, but a strong steward. What is a steward? What, do you know what a job of a steward is? Okay, let's say you're on the plane. And they used to use the names steward and stewardess. Now they're flight attendants. What, did the, what does a steward do? Can you think of it? Do you want to guess, Hud? I'm sorry? Gives you refreshments. They're given charge of the stuff on the plane, the drinks and the meals. And their stewardship is to walk down the aisle, ask you what you want, and hand out what they give you, right? And a steward does that all kinds of places. The steward, that's a general job of a steward is to help everybody else out, to take what they have and help, and help somebody else. So the first job he tells us is that we need to be strong in our stewardship. I have this verse built in. I mean, this verse two, verse two now, I, it's built into my mind. I've heard it so many times because our church went through, our church in Alabama went through a series of, um, teaching how to disciple others. To disciple somebody else means that you bring somebody alongside you and then the new word mentoring, you could call it spiritual mentoring is what discipleship was. Because you take what you know, you pass it on, and we bring, let's see what Paul said. Paul talks about four generations here. God has given all of us, those of us who are saved, and especially those of us who have been saved a little while, like me, who are a little bit older, those of us who have attained some maturity in the faith, and not just in the faith, but in our weary old bodies, we have we have been saved a long time, and God has given us, and really all of us, God has made us stewards of God's Word. So using Hudson's definition about a steward, what do you think it means to be a steward of God's Word? Using exactly what Hudson said. What does a steward do? Somebody else want to try it? Anybody else? Okay, Hud, what do you think a steward of God's Word would be? Okay, we pass God's Word on to somebody else. That's exactly like the picture that you gave at the beginning. Stewardship is all about, I take what I have learned. And after 40-some years now, I've learned some good. I've learned some bad. I've learned what to take. I've learned what to reject as the years gone by. Now, that gives me, not in a position of superiority, 
Not because I'm arrogant and proud, or not because I am better than anybody else, but those who've been saved for a good long time, we've learned some lessons. And if we're walking with the Lord, it's our responsibility, as Paul tells Timothy. I love the four-generation thing here. He says, first of all, he says, um, uh, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. So this whole process starts with Paul. And Paul says, you've heard that from me. I've been teaching you things. I've been mentoring you in the Word of God. He says, now he so the first thing is Paul. And the second group is Timothy. I've given those words to you. So that's the first generation. If we're talking about sonship and grandsonship, Timothy would be Paul's son in the faith. Then he says, what, what, are, you, what are the sons supposed to do? The spiritual sons supposed to do? You train them so that they can do what? Continue Sorry? To train, to train others. And what's the fourth step? So that these guys who you've trained can train more. So we have Paul. We have Timothy as his spiritual son. He says, teach others who are Paul's spiritual grandsons so that they can teach others also. So he has four generations of, of Christians here. What would happen? Sometimes we think that the only person who has to mentor other believers is the pastor. Do you ever get caught in that trap? You think just the pastor is supposed to do the ministry? He's got to be the one to do everything. The problem is, I don't know all of your friends. I, I am never going to be able to pass on God's Word to some of your friends because I'm never going to meet them. So it's my job as and the... Uh, is it, isn't it Titus who talks about the roles of the older men and older women? Is it Titus? Now, I have a biblical responsibility as an older Christian. My responsibility is to teach younger men. You teach younger people, as this says, so they can teach others, so they can teach others. And it perpetuates. It goes on and on and on and on. And if we could, if we could keep a track, it would be, I don't know how many dozens, how many centuries of generations have passed on. And the reason that I got saved... Is because somebody else took the time to share the gospel with me. The reason I grew is because somebody else had taught me the word of God and they'd learned the word of God from somebody else and they'd learned the word of God from somebody else and they'd learned the word of God all the way back to Paul. So those of us who are alive today, generally because of what Paul wrote, are all spiritual, spiritual descendants of the apostles. Does that make sense to you? We have a common spiritual DNA because we're all spiritual descendants from the very, very top back to the apostles. Now, what is going to happen? Let's not say my generation. What's going to happen if the next generation doesn't faithfully pass on the Word of God? What happens if the next generation is not mentoring the next generation? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to Christianity? What's going to happen to faith? It's going to wither up and die if we're not passing God's Word on. So Paul says, first of all, I want you to be a good steward of the Word of God. Okay, um, next. Next picture. I don't have the pointer. Good steward. What's the next on the list? What do you guys tell me what the next, next on the list is? Look at the slide. Needs to be a good soldier. Soldier. Right there in black. Right there in front of you, right? We're called on to be a good 
soldier. And there's several things that we're called on to do as soldiers. We are called being, that's why the reason we're soldiers, because God has given us that. That's why we have the armor of God that's talked about in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's talk about being a soldier. Um, I grew up in generations of soldiers. My dad was a soldier. Um, my One of my brothers was a soldier. One of my brothers was a... Um, uh, what do they call Air Force people? Uh, huh? Air Force people. They're not soldiers. They're airmen. airmen. Yes, thank you. Perfect. One of my brother. One of my brothers was an airman. One was a sailor. No, one of my brothers was a sailor. I have a son-in-law who's an air was an airman. I have a a son who was a soldier. I know military life. I I do. I know it. I it, it's in my blood. My, my desire when I got done with school was I took military training in secondary school. I took military training when I was in university because my goal was to be a soldier. I, can you imagine wanting to be a soldier? What in the world was I thinking? But I wanted to be a soldier and I wanted to use the military as a stepping stone to the presidency. That's a whole different story. Okay? Uh, and, but I wanted to be a soldier. And I remember, my, I remember military training. Now this was just training, okay? Training to be a soldier was tough. You would not believe this from my body, from looking at me today. But when I was a soldier, I was buff, guys. Really? I mean, have you ever heard of the Rangers or Special Forces, those kind of military units? They're like the top notch, the, the big guys. One of them, I mean, the toughest and the hardest, the Green Berets and the Navy SEALs and those kind of guys. I actually was going to go to Ranger School, which I mean, I was going to go and, and I'd already done a few things. I've jumped out of a helicopter on a rope. Okay? I, yeah, I've jumped out of a helicopter on a rope. I've abseiled out of a helicopter from the helicopter to the ground. Um, man, we ran, you swim. I had to swim in full gear with a rifle on my back and a pack. And I could swim 50 meters, 100 meters with all that. Can you imagine me doing that today? But I could. I was, military's tough. The training is hard. But they took us out and we had to go out into the, out into the, to train out in the, in the wilds and we had war games. And you didn't know when the, your play enemy was going to walk up and attack the camp and, it, it's it's the, the training itself was tough, but being in the military is hard. That's why he says endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That tells us right off the bat that if we're going to be soldiers for God, we need to be ready and willing to endure hardness. It's going to be tough. I watched the DVD series Bander Brothers recently. And Bander Brothers, if you've not seen it, describes an American division from the time they landed at Normandy until they got to Berlin. And I was I totally flabbergasted by how hard the warfare was. We've been to um, Bastogne in Belgium. And one of the major battles this unit got involved in was the Battle of Bastogne. And they showed... These are all reproduced from soldier accounts. They show they show this American division being totally surrounded by Germans, and the German artillery was so heavy and so intense that if it even popped your head up, they were getting shot. The forest was exploding literally from artillery shells. 
Uh, the visual effect, I can't even imagine it being, which it was, much worse than what I was seeing. I can't imagine the impact of the trees exploding around you from artillery shells. They couldn't move. They were totally trapped. That's the kind of hardness that's involved in being a soldier. But Paul tells Timothy, you need to endure hardness like a good soldier. We can't go through life as believers just on a bed of ease, just kind of floating along and hoping everything's going to be fine. And yeah, it's all hunky-dory. And man, you get saved. There's not going to be any problems. Everything's going to be great. But no, Paul says you need to be ready to endure hardness. He tells Timothy. And and Timothy, to tell the next guy and tell the next guy, he says, so the first thing a soldier has to do, the very first thing the soldier has to do is endure hardness. And God provides us with the armor with the fight. I guess the best way to describe, I I can tell you about enduring hardness with three words. These words were, were spoken by a Union general in the American Civil War, a guy named General Sherman. He said this very clearly. I don't think you're going to misinterpret it. He said, war is hell. And that's, that describes warfare. It's hard. I, 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 I look at, I mean, Vietnam is a very traumatic era for me because I almost had to go to Vietnam. When I hear stories of Vietnam and my dad wouldn't talk about it, I can't imagine my dad being in Vietnam. Have you ever seen any films or any documentaries about Vietnam? That was a terrible place to be at warfare because the enemy was not open. I mean, they lived in, lived in these massive tunnels under the ground. You could be walking through the woods and all of a sudden, Somebody pop up and open fire on you. And then they're gone. They put bombs on their wives and their women and their children. So you'd go in and see a baby laying there on the ground and you average guy would, would want to take comfort and comfort that child. And they'd go over and the child would blow up and kill them. Um, that's what war is like. And the Christian life is going to be a warfare. Jesus tells us from the very beginning that if, if you follow Christ, you're going to suffer persecution. So the first thing they had to do, they had to endure. A good soldier is able to endure hardness and keep on going. And what impressed me about the Band of Brothers is they landed at Normandy and over a series of eight DVDs, it showed their progress. And they kept going. They kept getting stopped in these major battles. They were under all kinds of attack. And they kept going. They fought this battle. And as soon as they finished this battle, they thought they were done. They said, no, you're going to this battle. And they had to keep going and going and going and going and going and going all the way to the end. Now, these guys didn't end up going to Berlin because they captured their last objective. And the war ended before. And they were all supposed to go to the Pacific front after this. But they kept going. Nothing was going to stop these guys. Day after day, battle after battle, fight after fight, they kept enduring. So it's the concept of enduring hardness, and I'm going to keep moving on. Uh, verse 4 says, verse 4, um, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. second thing they have to do is that you avoid distractions. You avoid worldly entanglements. You avoid distractions is the second thing. The first thing a soldier does is endure hardship. The second thing a soldier does is he doesn't get distracted. He doesn't get involved in things that are not a part of the battle. And these guys have such an intensity when they, when they were fighting all the way there. We, we, and now we're, we're, we're soldiers of Christ. We're the army of God. 
We have a purpose, and our purpose is to take the Word of God to the world around us. Our purpose is to take it in love, and our purpose is to share our faith with others, to see them drawn into the kingdom of God. We don't fight with um, weapons of, of warfare. We don't fight with, with physical weapons. We care. Our, our, our battle cry is love, and we need to be focused on bringing people into the kingdom of God. That's why the second thing says, a good soldier does not get distracted. Man, that's tough. Especially now, with all the social media and all the other stuff going on, it's really easy to get distracted from the task, isn't it? You want to keep going? You all know how I feel about politics. I love politics. And I so... Can you imagine somebody who loves politics as much as I do, having to deal with what's going on in Ireland with that election and the American election? That is crazy politics. And my mind says, yeah, I love this stuff. But God says, don't get distracted. We have a job to do. Our job isn't to, isn't to see a certain politician be elected. Our job is not to see a certain party in government. Our job isn't to do any of those things. Our job is not even to conform the world to our standard. We can't do that. We can't expect a lost world to conform to our biblical standards. People act the way they act because they're lost. And we can't expect to conform them to our way. Our task is to daily love God, love others, and try to bring people into God's kingdom. That's the job we have. That's our, that's, that's, we can't get away from that. I can't be distracted by this problem or that problem. I can't get, I can't get distracted by conspiracy theories. I can't get distracted by the latest world health scare. I'm not saying be stupid. But I'm saying, I can't get my mind off the task of trying to bring people to Christ because there's a, a new virus floating around the world. I'm not saying ignore it. You know what I'm saying. I'm not saying be an idiot. But that can't be our focus. Our focus is to bring people to Jesus Christ. And we can't afford to get distracted. We stay on task. We stay on purpose. And we stay true to God's Word. And we keep going. We don't get entangled with the affairs of this world. Paul tells Timothy over and over again in this passage. He says, we'll pick up some more next week. He says, don't get involved. He even says this. Don't get involved in silly debates. Don't get involved in worldly arguments. Just don't, just leave it alone. Stay at your task. Don't get distracted. And then down in verse 8 and 9, a good soldier magnifies his cause. Um, go down to verse 8. Okay, verse 8. Uh, Remember that, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to the, my gospel. Uh, for when I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chain, but the word of God is not chained. This is a powerful passage. Literally, he says, as we're going out to warfare, as we go out as soldiers, he says a little slogan that ought to ring in our minds is, Remember Jesus! Remember Jesus! Remember, um, most of you are old enough to remember that um, after 9-11. All over the place, and if, especially if you saw News from America, it's, remember 9-11. And you'll still see that posted on Facebook today. <clears throat> remember 9-11. The soldiers who fought in World War II. Remember Pearl Harbor. As always, remember your cause. Remember why you're fighting. And we're fighting, that's why he says, remember Jesus Christ. No matter what happens in our lives, 
No matter how things turn out, no matter what news breaks across our screen, no matter how bad the disaster is, we're called on to remember Jesus. Simply remember Jesus. Remember what Jesus did for us. Remember His sacrifice on the cross. Remember His example. Remember how He told us to love each other. Remember Jesus. We are, we magnify our cause and our cause is Jesus Christ. Hardships are going to come when they come. We, we shout out, remember Jesus. When we get weighed down in the depths of despair, we think in our heads, Roger, remember what Jesus did for you. When I'm tempted to complain or whinge or get upset about things, I need to be able to say, Roger, remember what Jesus went through. You think, you think you have it tough? You're not being beaten. You're not having your beard plucked out. You're not being stripped and whipped and hung on a cross to die. Remember what Jesus did. Remember Jesus, guys. That's how we keep going. That's how we don't give up. That's how we stay strong in the grace of God. We remember what Jesus did for us. And part of what Jesus did for us was to show us the grace of God. Paul says also in verse 9, For what I, for, for which I suffer trouble as an evil, um, evildoer, even to the point of chains. And I love the picture he says here. No matter what our situation as soldiers, he says, but he says, I, I, I suffer trouble even to the point of chains. But then he says, and this is our focus, he says, no matter how bad our troubles get, even if a soldier is taken captive, even if he's a POW in a prison camp, and my goodness, you want to read some stories about the horrors of being a prisoner, read a couple of books about the, the, the death march in Bataan in the Philippines and what those people went through. They were chained, literally horrible life. So even when, even if we're in chains like some of our brothers and sisters Christ, Paul says, even if that happens here, I mean, it could, things could change in our lifetime. The restrictions on Christians are getting tighter and tighter and tighter all the time. And I'm reading news stories about all kinds of things that people are just being a Christian and they're being censored or forbidden. And we, we may, we could possibly go to prison one day for our faith. But Paul says, no matter how bad the war gets, even if you're a prisoner of war, God's word is not going to be chained. The one thing people can't argue is the word of God. And you'll read stories and if you'll read any, many books about the martyrs and those who died for their faith in the past, they cling on to God's word. I've read stories about prisoners of war in Vietnam and how uh, verses they learned in Sunday school would come back to their minds. And they found faith and confidence in God's word. God's word will not be chained. And I love that picture because people have tried to destroy the word of God for thousands of years now. Yet God's Word is not going to be chained. God's Word is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. God's Word will carry on. God's Word is there and God's Word will not be chained. So when we go through tough times and when we go through hard times, we need to remember that our commander is there with us. Jesus is there with us. He's our commander. I, man, I, I, I really was, who was this? I was thinking, um, oh yeah, the, um, Douglas, Douglas MacArthur. I was reading a, a, a book about a battle in the Philippines and Douglas MacArthur was the American commander in the Philippines. And these guys were all being pinned down and, and I mean, the, the, the troops were, but you know what, you know what MacArthur did? 
And this is the picture of remembering Jesus. It's, MacArthur was definitely not Jesus. But here's a picture of remembering what he's doing for you. Here comes MacArthur. And MacArthur was criticized a lot. And there's shells going off and there's bullets being fired. And the men are trapped. And MacArthur has a corncob pipe. He had a very peculiar hat, very peculiar hat on. He drew his sidearm and he goes out in the middle of this fight. And the guys are in their foxholes trapped. And MacArthur's with a hand with just his pistol. I mean, and a corn cop pipe in his mouth. People thought he was nuts. But you know what he did? What do you think he did? He rallied the troops because he was there. And he was leading them into the battle. So a good soldier remembers um, his cause. And our cause is Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Verse 10, a good soldier thinks of the entire army. Um, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that, uh, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We think of each other when we're in the fight. There's a there was a, a, a they, there is a um, there's a saying today in the American Army at least no man left behind and at, and today they, they won't even leave a body behind back in World War II they had no choice because there were so many dying but they would never leave a man who wasn't dead they wouldn't leave him alive one of the pictures I saw of it, during the Battle of the Ardennes or the Battle of Bastogne. Um, when all these trees were exploding, exploding, a tree exploded and he trapped a guy in his foxhole. You know what foxholes are, don't you? The little trenches that are dug to crawl into. Well, a guy dug a foxhole, got into it, and this great big oak tree had fallen on top of him. And they were going to try to repeat, they were going to try to re- retreat to a safer place, not to leave the battlefield because the fire was so intense, they were going to try to retreat. And this guy's calling out. And all around him, I mean, sh- shells are going off and shots are being fired and all you can hear is the ping, 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 all the bullets being fired and the shells going off and they could not leave that man behind they crawled through the shells the shells going off and 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 I mean, there's no way they could, but they did they, they had, first of all they had to get the tree off the guy and they had to get the guy out from under the tree but they wouldn't leave him behind and two or three guys went out and they tried to give them the best cover they had and they went out there and somehow they lifted the tree enough to drag this guy out and they dragged him back with the rest of the troops. Part of what we have to do as we're serving God is we need to remember our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to remember that unit. We need to keep... Uh, and, and I'm reading... Um, yeah, I'm reading Philippians now and the whole theme there is that we support each other. We help each other out. We don't leave each other stranded. When I have a brother or sister in Christ who's under attack and things aren't going well for them and I know they're having trouble, my priority and your priority needs to be to go to their help. Now, none of us are going to be called on probably to go into a a battlefield where trees are exploding around us and dig a guy out of the foxhole and drag him back to where the troops are now. That's not We're not going to be called to do that. We may be called on to go in the middle of the night and take somebody to the hospital or to, or to whatever, whatever has to happen. Um, give somebody, help somebody out, take somebody to the airport, uh, go by and sit with them in the hospital all night. 
We can't forget each other. Sometimes it's just going and having a cup of tea and sitting there and praying for them. Sometimes it's just being there with each other. That's why it's important. I'm, I'm glad we have the WhatsApp. You know, if, if, if we see somebody, and let's say somebody in the church, you don't hear from them for, maybe they've had to miss church because of illness. You know, we ought to be checking in, just saying, how are you doing? Anything I can do? Do you need something from the shop? Whatever. We think about the elect. We think about the rest of the army. So, a good soldier does those things. A good soldier endures hardship. He follows his commander. He, um, he, uh, he, he, he trusts his commander. He thinks of the whole army. He remembers his cause. So then, then we come up. We're almost done because we're running a little bit late, but I want us just too short to stop here. Verse five, he says this. If anybody competes in athletics, he, he is not crowned unless, unless he competes according to the rules. So the third, the third thing is, be a strong sportsman. Be a strong sportsman. Be a steward, be a soldier, and be a strong sportsman. Years ago, uh, I remember reading the story, I was reading about the Boston Marathon. And um, I used to know the girl's name. So the Boston Marathon takes off, and everybody, you know, like marathons are, they head down the road and the crowd disperses. Well, this one girl decided... She would hop over and she, what she did is, she actually hopped on a trolley. Like a, like a tram type thing. She hopped on a trolley, skipped the whole race, waited till the rest of the people got close, hopped out of where she was hiding, and finished first. And they were amazed this unknown woman had won the Boston Marathon. But they didn't let her keep the prize. Why didn't they let her keep the prize? Because she what? She cheated. All right. Um, was it Ben Johnson? The, wasn't Ben Johnson the English runner in the Olympics years ago? And Ben Johnson had a tremendous Olympics. I mean, he outran all the Americans. He outran all the Soviet, the Russians. Amazing Olympics. I think he won four gold medals. But they found out that Ben Johnson was taking steroids. And he didn't get to keep his medals. Why didn't he keep his medals? Because he cheated. Now, as sportsmen, God says, as a good athlete, as a, as a proper athlete or a proper sportsman, He says, we need to obey the rules. We don't cheat. We don't bypass God's Word. Now, we don't live under the law, but God does give us guiding principles for our lives, doesn't He? As good sportsmen, we have to obey the rules. Um, Jesus said, "If you, what did Jesus say? My dear wife reminded me of this this morning. Um, I had a particularly bad night sleeping last night with things in my head. And my, did my wife say this morning um, about the fact that uh, about trusting God? Then she, then she said this verse. Um, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The test of loyalty is do we keep do we prove our love to God by keeping His commandments? God gives us His Word. We have the Word of God that tells us how to live. We're meant to live holy lives. We're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to love God. And, and, then, and then we're not going to receive a crown at the end if we've not run properly. And the main rule, of course, as a sportsman is we have to enter the race properly. That, that, uh, we, that how, how do we enter the race? It's only one way. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can run the race of life as long and as far as you want. But you get to the end, you're not going to receive the prize because you've never entered according to the rules. You've never accepted Christ as your Savior. And you can run and race and be the best Christian in the church. And you can all, you can, you can be there. I mean, everybody looks at you and say, man, what a, and, and look, look, he got to the end and he lived this life. He was always in church. 
It makes no difference. If that guy didn't obey the rules, if he didn't enter the race legally, you're not going to receive a crown. Being a Christian is more than just going through the routine and running in the race. Though the race is a big part of it. Paul talks about um, in Hebrews, run the race that's set before us. Keep our eyes on the goal and follow Jesus Christ. And the last thing is this. Be a strong sower. Be a strong sower of God's Word. Um, let me see. No, verse, uh, verse 9. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Paul says here, and this is an interesting thing here, we need to be a faithful sower. What he's telling us here is, if I'm going to give the Word out, if I'm going to talk to people about the Word of God, what do I have to do first? In that verse. Before I can give it out, I have to... Take it in, yes! Perfect! Before I can give God's Word out, I've got to take it in. So we need to be spending time doing devotions, spending time in God's Word, allowing ourselves to be filled with God's Word so that we can take the seed out and sow it to those around us. So we need to be strong sowers or good farmers. Four things he talks about. Be strong in the grace that is in the Lord. He talks about being a strong steward, passing the word on from one to another. Be a strong soldier, fighting the battle and staying at it and sticking with it. Be a strong sportsman, enter the race according to the rules and then keep our eyes on Jesus as we go through their Christian life and be a good, be a good seed sower, taking God's word and then we sow God's seed to others and we end in verse 10. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Um, that they may obtain... No, no, no. Verse 13. No. 11 through 13. Here's the, 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 the verse 11 through 13. We read this. This is a faithful saying. If we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we endure, we shall reign with Jesus. If we deny Him, He'll deny us. But then we see verse 13, and we're not going to camp on the rest of those. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. What a comfort to know. That even when we are not as faithful as we should be, once we're His, we still belong Him, belong to Him, and He stays. He stays faithful. All right, don't be weary in well doing. Keep going, keep going, keep staying at the task. And then in the middle, Paul says, verse seven: Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. This is an important passage of Scripture. Paul says, I want you to think about what you've heard. Think about it. Remember what you've heard and let God give you understanding of what you've heard here. Very simple little lesson. We're called on to be faithful to God. We're called on to be good stewards. Take God's word and pass it on. We're called upon to be good soldiers. Fighting the warfare of of, of enduring hardship. um, Remembering who Jesus is. Staying true to our task. Stay in the race. Don't quit the race. You quit the race, we're never going to win. And Then he says also be a good sower of God's word. Take God's word in and pass it on to others. Father, I thank You for the chance to be here this morning. I thank You for the opportunity to share Your Word. Lord, there's so much packed in here. Lord, I pray that You would help us to take these things to heart, Lord, as we, as we try to serve You. God, make us good stewards of Your Word. As Hudson said earlier, passing it on to other people. Help us to be good soldiers, to stay in the fight, to be willing to endure hardships, to think of each other, to remember Jesus as we go through our life. Help us to be good sportsmen as we run the race. Lord, we run the race according to your word, with your word as our guide, and keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ. Help us to be faithful in partaking of your word so we can pass it on to others. Thank you for our time we've had together. Lord, I do pray for those who are not feeling well. I pray that you would alleviate their sickness quickly and 